FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 405 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and I have one half in the Escalabros, Georgie. Hey, Georgie. What's up? Hey, hey. So glad to have you. Of course, we will miss Dan, but he's got a little, uh, well, we'll, we'll patronize it, say he's got a tickle in his throat. Come on, Dan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but he, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but he's, he's under the weather, but he sent us some notes, and we also have a couple of notes from Grant uh, for our cable issue, so we'll... We'll have oh, some nice. other other insight, but me and Georgie will tackle um, a pretty good smattering of comics. Um, For sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of kick off, obviously, hope everyone is, you know, staying safe and well out there in the real world. But, you know, maybe for the next hour and change or so, you can just kind of tune out some stuff, jump into our world for a little bit, and, um, and talk about some X-Men. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, Georgie, we're going to start off with so so basically what we're going to do is kind of <laughs> climax with uh, S words uh, creation, and we we have a lot of a lot of foreplay to get there. Um, <laughs> so, so this I kind is, of wonder is it worth it though? That's my <laughs> well, we'll see. I think um, yeah, well, it should be definitely be a good conversation. Right. Uh, so so obviously you know. Um, I'm going to make the Scalabros read some issues they kind of sworn off over the next few weeks, and I will I will buy them some gift baskets for that. Um, yeah, we got also, just a little bit of Twitter trouble talking about those <laughs> issues, so it's, it's all right. You know what? Um, yeah, that's people just need to uh, get some thicker skin sometimes. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, but with that, uh, I do want to just mention real fast, you know, I did participate recently on the Crossing Swords, which is the Ten of Swords. That's what they're calling it. And I, I don't know why they're not calling it S-Words, like it really is. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so, you know, with that is Homo Superior, X Reads, uh, Comic Book Queers, and House of X. So happy to have done that with them, and I'll be, uh, Jumping on some guest spots over the next few weeks as this event goes on. But for our podcast, the podcast that goes nicked, I am happy as always to have Excalibros walk me, walk through these issues with me, whether they necessarily are happy about it <laughs> or not. Or we're TVD. But, um, but nothing Listen, I gotta, I gotta say, I listened to the, the episode. It was a lot of fun. It was really yeah. interesting to see. You know, a, a lot of different points of view and who had, you know, whose favorite events were this or who was right. enjoying this book and who was hating that book. It was really interesting. Right. Uh, listen. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I'm, I was kind of worried at first that I was going to go in and <laughs> be like, oh, well, I'm the guy that's kind of in the middle, but there were a lot of a wide, wide berth of opinions on all mm-hmm. the books. So I was, I was very happy that I wasn't sticking out like a sore thumb. Um, <laughs> But, um, but I think we should start with a book that generally everybody loves, as far as I know. And if you don't love it, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, 
and that is Marauders 12. All right, let me pull this up. Marauders 12. <clears throat> Marauders 12, where's the creatives? Man, <laughs> they the front. Where, where they, they hide this? Yeah, they hide them. Um, Way like, in the back. Okay, here we go. Uh, writer Jerry Duggan, artist Matteo Lali, uh, colors by Edgar Delgado, letterer VCs Corey Pettit, and designed by Tom Muller, with the cover by Russell Dodderman and Matthew Wilson. And let me scroll all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> and sorry, uh, we, on the cover we've got uh, um, Kitty looking uh, very determined in her awesome captain's outfit with her little purple dragon on her shoulders. And, uh, spoiler, but she's got her tats on her knuckles that say Killshaw, and she's, uh, on a mission. It's, it's very Dodderman. Um, I, I, I love the colors here, and just like the, the, uh, you know, angry intent in her eyes, sort of the fire that's gleaming off of her sunglasses. It's, uh, it's a nice cover. Yeah, it's one of the better hip-hop album covers I've seen in a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I really like, I mean, if, if you listen to us or, or prior to this, the Intracomics podcast, um, I'm sure we're not alone, but one of the things we always comment on is Dodderman's ability to draw hair. I really love Kitty's natural hair on this cover. Um, sure. But, yeah, no, the whole cover just looks really good. It's a really nice cover. Uh, even Lockheed's kind of got a scowl going. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's nice. Uh, so we jump in, and Matteo Lali is back on the book, and it was a little bit jarring for me because we, we haven't seen him for a while. I was like, right. who is this? <laughs> oh, it's that guy. <laughs> um, so we start off, Kitty's back, and they're having sort of a welcome back to life party um, where she's introduced all the people she saved. Uh, Emma is dressed like she's <laughs> going to a... Aquaman party? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of love it. I hope that's a real swimsuit. It's so right. perfect. Um, <laughs> and everyone comes to see her. They have this ceremony where they'll like, you know, prove who you are. And she has a moment with Storm. And of, of course, um, uh, her best buddy shows up. Uh, but then we cut to the beach where uh, Emma and Kitty are riding horses on the beach. And uh, they they go over what happened. They devise a plan on, on what's going to happen next. And we're not really certain what that is. Um, but at the party, she sees, um, Nightcrawler and, and they're excited and she sees Bobby, her friends, and th- they talk a little bit. Um, she runs into Sebastian Shaw and sort of hints that she's got something for him and, and she knows what happened. Uh, then, uh, her and, uh, Ileana go get some burgers, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> have some hangout time. Kitty goes to get, uh, cats on her knuckles. She meets a really cool tattoo artist. Uh, they flirt. Kitty kisses her, and then she's off to put her plan into motion. Um, I really enjoyed this issue. Uh, I can't think of a Marauders issue I haven't enjoyed. Um, it was nice to see Kitty sort of back in action. Uh, I love that they're, they're – I don't know how much this has been – fully teased or how much this has been more of like a, sh- a shipping sort of conversation in the, in the fandom, but it's good to see her put down her, 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 her walls a little bit after going right. through a traumatic situation and, and sort of experimenting with life. So that was sort of interesting. Uh, I, I love Kitty's hair in this. I love, I love so much about this book. I, what I, and, and I hate to take away from Kitty, but 
they keep hinting that the Nightcrawler's working on something in the background, and it just every time they tease him, I'm like, okay, when is the Nightcrawler book coming? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I, I really enjoy this issue, and I, I'm uh, really eager to see what what she and Emma have uh, planned for the future. Yeah, yeah, it, it was really fun. It was nice to see Lolly back. I mean, other than the one random panel where Storm first shows up and she looks like she's two feet tall. <laughs> I, that that pers- that's a weird perspective shot that didn't quite work. Other than right. that, I thought the art was really fantastic. Um, you know, it was <laughs> I, a couple of funny moments at the party. First of all, I loved his design for Bishop. You know, kind of the red on red it looks really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where I'm pretty sure Kid Cable is trying to sneak an alcoholic beverage because he has like he's holding like a can of beer behind his back. Well, Scott's got his arms crossed. That's kind of funny. Kind of subtle stuff like that. Um, I like Wolverine being around, rough around the edges. I'm not sure if I like him being just over the top vulgar with Kitty, but you know, whatever. Cause he's like, congrats, I'm losing your resurrection cherry, kiddo. Yeah, that Which was, was <laughs> kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and the Nightcrawler, like, it's really interesting kind of seeing how they're balancing what and, and again, not to not to completely shift a focus on Nightcrawler. Their dad would have no problem if he was here. Um, but very interested in what he's doing. But also, his characterization on kind of embracing what's going on for Koa and balancing that with his religious overtones has been really interesting. And so when he gives Kitty her Star of David necklace, mm-hmm. it was a really just kind of. Interesting moment, a really intimate moment um, that I appreciated. Um, yeah, and like you said, there's definitely some drama going on with, with Shaw. He looks a little taken aback that, oh, wait, she knows. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> just really, really fun. Um, you know, her kissing the uh, tattoo artist was, like you said, kind of breaking down the walls, taking advantage of having a restart. Um I, oh, it's really just hit on, on multiple levels. Um, so any other, any other thoughts on this one? Yeah, I just love the panel after she's done the kiss where the, the tattoo artist uh-huh. is like, oh my, and Kitty's like, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> right, yeah. The facial, the facial expressions in this book are really good. Definitely. Even like Kitty yawning and like coming out of the yawn. It's like, I don't know, Lawley just really, like, from Shaw being smug to shocked. Like the the changes there, like mm-hmm. he just he nails it. Um, like I said, other than like one one random really off perspective shot, the art in this book is great. It was nice to have Lolly back. Um, Dugan continues to just write a charming devil of a book. Um, so yeah, uh, you want to jump to what Dan had to say, or do you want to get some other thoughts in first? No, no, let's hear what Dan had to say. Okay. So uh, Dan said, Marauders continues to be a highlight. The artwork is great. Colors pop. Oh, sorry, he's British. Colors pop. <laughs> sorry, Dan, just kidding. Um, characters are expressive and lines are clean. Writing is touching, with Kitty reclaiming a lot of herself before moving on with the purpose. I, mean, that's, I think that's key. This mm-hmm. book this book has a lot of purpose, a lot of drive. Um, also nice that she expressed her appreciation for her tax. And uh, he gave it six out of six claws. Yeah, we mentioned this before, but this is the maybe the one book that's 
had a through line and stuck to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate that. There's a real focus to this book. Yes, for sure. And, and that's, it's not a, you know, that's a, that's a tricky balance, right? Cause it's not a slave to its focus. It builds stories that, well, I'm gonna sound, that's gonna sound really dumb. I'm gonna say it builds stories that really builds into the focus, which sounds retarded. But, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but no, it, it's not, the focus is not a chore for the book. The book rewards the reader for staying on focus. Is that, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. that's kind of how I, how I see it. Um, yeah, so all right, how high are you going to go on Marauders 12? Boy, um, I'll say it's, it might be the best book we read today. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for a five out of six. or Sorry, six out of six. It's like, I'm, I'm going to give it, let me do this. I'm going to give it a five out of six, and after we get done, I reserve the right to, to retroactively <laughs> adjust my rating. Sounds good. <laughs> um. I think I'm going to, I mean, honestly, I'm probably like five and a half out of six. I think I'll, I'll bend towards Dan and say a six out of six clause for me. I just, I love this book. It's so much fun. Yeah. There's nothing, it's not like I, I disliked anything. Oh, there's yeah. There's just no a, a few little things I'm like, I don't know. It feels, it, it, I'm still sort of jarred by Lolly being back and it's not what I was used to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit in shock, I think, is, is what it That's is. Very good. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Georgie, we're going to stay with you and move into cable number four, which is another path to uh, ten of S words. Mm. Cable number four. We are sticking with uh, our good friend Jerry Duggan as the writer. Our artist is Phil Noto. Letterer VCs Joe Sabino. Designed by Tom Muller. With the cover by Phil Noto. And um, once again, we've got this, uh, you know, he's every issue, he's got that cable logo doing something crazily different. And this time <laughs> it's all pink and shiny and and, and brittle. Um, then underneath, we've got Cable and Esme uh, fighting the Space Knights. And I love how shiny and, and metallic everything is. Um, we, we talked about expressions with Lolly. I think Noto is unbelievable with, oh, with facial yes, expressions. For sure. And, and the grit on Cable's face, uh, and Esme's face as well as they're fighting here is, is superb. I, I love this cover. Yeah, me too. It's really good. You know, the one thing, we always have something on the cover that doesn't quite work. At the bottom where it says Attack of the Space Knights, looks like a 90s, like, paste-on, like, thing yeah. to a cover. Yeah. They should have they should have kept with the pink motif for that. And kept yeah. It, yeah. It feels like that, that belongs on a Spider-Man cover from, like, 1996. <laughs> Like the goblins back, the goblin attacks right. or something. That's what right. I should say. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but the book starts off with the Esme explaining what the space knights are to the to Cable and and you know really just explaining it to readers who maybe aren't uh, familiar with the space knights. But some gorgeous panels here of of, of how these. Uh, Cyborgs are created and then were cast aside, and so these these three remaining uh, space knights have a mission to try and bring their planet back so that they can get their bodies back. Um, and we cut back to Cable and Esme who are talking telepathically, and they've got the old Cable's arm, uh, which has a time machine which they've uh, promised to give to the space knights so they can go back and blah 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 blah. Um, 
I, I love here that uh, the like, what are we gonna do? I I, I can't give the Space Knights this time machine. Wait a second, and then he totally Bill and Ted's them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, internally. Yeah. What if we already did it, and then we just have to remember to go back and do it? And that's it's basically a Bill and Ted homage. This this, this book. <laughs> so the time, but in all the right ways. Yeah. No. It's it's yeah. it's just hinting at it. It's fun. Um, so what was a time machine is now a, a time bomb, um, and they convince the space knights to go out into the desert. Uh, Esme plants a, a gateway back to. Krakoa, and we we get sort of a flashback to old man Logan, who is replacing oh, his time machine with a a bomb. And I, this didn't like make the way that young Cable had killed old Cable like good, but it, it sort of like lessened the blow a little bit. It wasn't as bad now. It's like there's there's a little bit of they've smoothed over the rough edges. Gideon is is trying to save it. Yeah, trying to save he's, it. Like he's trying his best. <laughs> Old Man Cable knew this had to happen, so like he let himself go get killed so that young Cable can do what he needs to do. It was, I, I, I appreciated that. Um, right. So obviously they tricked the Space Knights. Uh, this thing's about to blow up. There's a the fight. Uh, it looks really gorgeous. I mean, it's Phil Nelto just being like his his amazing self. Um, they take back the sword, jump through the portal, everyone explodes, and. Uh, there's this great panel of Esme uh, looking up a cable, like dumb, dumb in love face that uh, is so perfect, <laughs> which is followed by Emma, who was very upset face. Right. And she does the little, I got my eyes on you, like hand motions. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. so, <laughs> I, I, I love, uh, I love, I love all of that. Our cable goes home, tells his parents what's up, like a, a kid who came home from elementary school. <laughs> like, hey, I got to go back out and see my friends. I'll see you later. And uh, Scott's like, why don't you calm down for a minute? We're going to have dinner as a family. And uh, the end, I just, it, it's it's heartwarming. It's fun. I, I love the flirting between Esme and Cable. It's uh, just a super gorgeous book. Like, anything Phil Nuss yeah. does is just yeah. so well painted. I I, I I I don't know if it's a, a perfect book uh, as well as, as what we just covered, but... Um, uh, I don't know. There's something intangible that that maybe keeps it from from a six for me. But uh, right. reading it for like the fourth time, uh, I just enjoyed it so much. Yeah, I did too. I think um, I forget that the Cuckoo Sisters also have the diamond power. But that panel on the bottom of when the Space Knights realize they've been betrayed and they they decide to attack, mm-hmm. there's that panel of Cable like jumping out of a really a dust cloud right. and then Esme goes into diamond form right. and that that panel is a highlight of any comic book mm-hmm. um, it's just it's a it's a great great page um, yeah the colors yeah. in this book are gorgeous yes yeah and man we're really uh this this week or this past couple weeks really reconnecting to Emma's level horses um, oh right <laughs> <laughs> From all the way back to the like Firestar miniseries days, um, but yeah, no, I'm really I had a lot of fun with this book. Um, it's amazing to me that that you know Dugan has really made me kind of fall in love with this Kid Cable character, which I didn't think 
Oh, it's just a, it was, it's a tall order. Like he had a yeah. lot of work cut out for him, and he's 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 yeah. done it. Um. So yeah, so we have a couple of different thoughts. Um, I'm also going to land, by the way, on five out of six claws. Um. So Dan uh, said about Cable, another solid issue. Uh, the art is certainly stronger than the script in places, but it was breezy fun. Mm-hmm. Five out of six claws. And then uh, Grant from the Cable Guide podcast, which you guys are not listening, you should be. It's a really fun podcast. It's kind of like a uh, kind of like this show uh, is a Wolverine Index show. He's doing a, a Cable Index show, um, and it's a lot of fun. So definitely go check that out. And he had a couple of thoughts about this issue. Let me pull it up in my email. Um, so Grant said that he thought the revelation that there was a suicide squad division in the Space Knights made up of political prisoners and petty thieves was interesting. Um, he had never really read Rom as a kid, also guilty, uh, but always got the impression that Galadorians was, were supposed to be like the shining good guys of the galaxy. So Guggen complicating that take as being somewhat uh, fascist is pretty fascinating, which I agree. I thought that was a... Definitely different than what I remembered about, but again, I'm not a Space Knight expert. Um, he also got some serious uh, tweaky from Buck Rogers, a DVD uh, vibe from the Space Knight, <laughs> uh, running around with the other Space Knight said slapped to his chest, so that was oh, fun. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he... Like, what was that? What was the... Uh, it's like the most recent God of War uh, game. Have you seen that? They have uh-uh. to... Yeah. <laughs> okay, never mind then. Uh, no, so they they run around with a, a guy strapped to him as well. There's, I forget the name of, of of the mythological character, but he's like he's he's grown into a tree and only his head is left. So they chop off oh. his head and they go to a witch and have him uh, like resurrected, but it's just his head. So they they tie his head to the belt of the main character, and he's <laughs> he's like your your like your computer as you're walking through the world. He asks him questions and he answers. <laughs> That's funny. You're, you're a Wikipedia. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he felt like he was wrong, but he had the same thought that you did. Cause he goes, you, he kind of doubt, had some doubt whether he was on the right course and was looking forward to our discussion. But, um, the thing with the time bomb and the stolen old man cable arm confused him a little bit. He said it felt like a don't forget to steal your dad's keys, Bill and Ted moment. Yeah. Um, where young cable thinking about the bomb ensured that old cable would install it sometime in the future, uh, of their personal timeline. And he goes, but maybe I'm reading it wrong, but I, no, I think we're right there with you, Grant. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that that's definitely what we're inferring from the page. So, and that's not what Duggan intended. Then, uh, Maybe he and Noto were not on the same page, but I definitely, <laughs> I feel like that's what they were going for, and I, mm-hmm. so I, I think I have some confidence, Grant, you're good. Um, <laughs> uh, he said that he liked Cable, old Cable having a couple of different versions of a cybernetic arm laying around, which, uh, if you've been listening to his show, he's been talking about a, a theory that, um, that Cable started using modular arms after, uh, Fabian Nicieza did a hard reset a few years into his run. So that definitely kind of lines up. Um, he was really creeped out by the text piece, uh, the conversation between the Order of X and what the dog was supposed to represent, like whether that's a child or it's actually a dog, both of which are terrible. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so he's definitely interested in that. And then, just kind of a side note, he said, it's bullcrap that Hope doesn't get included in the Summers family dynamic. 
But on the other hand, he can see how she wouldn't want to be around the kid that killed her dad. So, <laughs> so Grant, thank you very much for those thoughts. Really enjoyed them. Um, and like I said, uh, just another plug for Grant's show, The Cable Guide. Go check that out. Um, totally. Grant's a good guy. We, uh, yeah, we love Grant. Totally. Yeah. Yep. He's been a lot of fun to get to know the last, I don't know. When did we start really interacting? About a year or so ago, I think? Yeah, maybe about a year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's a smart dude, really fun, sweet guy. Yep. Yep. So definitely go give Grant some love and, uh, thanks Grant for sending in those thoughts. So I'm going to assume he, from his comments, he's somewhere in the five to six range. So we'll just kind of say we all went five. That sound good? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it, as you mentioned, we weren't, we were, when this was announced, we were like, really? Young Cable? And now we're like, <laughs> okay, yeah, Young Cable's doing amazing. I can't believe we're still loving this. Right. Now, I, I will say, because we know at some point they're gonna they're either gonna have to have a fill-in artist or no will rotate off the book. Yeah. That to me will be the biggest challenge in this book. Sure, sure. Will I still enjoy it as much without no Um But you know, I'm just gonna enjoy what we have for now and not worry about that right now. Yeah. Um. All right. So the next couple of issues we're gonna talk about. Um. I already discussed briefly on. The uh, Ten of Swords, uh, Crossing Swords Alpha episode. It's going to be Excalibur and X-Men number 12, which is two really, really dense issues that we could easily spend a really long time on, but I don't really want to. Um, so uh, we'll say that Excalibur number 12 is by the normal team. It's going to be written by Teeny Howard, art by Marcus Toe, colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. Uh, designed again by Tom Mueller, covered by Mahmoud Azrar and Matthew Wilson. And then X-Men 12 is written, of course, by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, art, the last issue where he does interiors, Leno Francis Yu. Colors by Sonny Go. Letters by VCs Clayton Cow, designed by Tom Mueller. And then covered by Yu and Go as well. Um, Excalibur, I like the cover. We basically have Saturnine. Um, playing chess with the X-Men and she has her hands on the chess pieces but then reaching above her is Apocalypse's arm like he also has a chess board in fact she's even on a checkerboard tile floor so I, I kind of really like this cover um, and the cover for X-Men is pretty great as too we have the summoner uh, his doing his best uh, east of west impersonation with some monsters in the shadows around him Basically, both these issues go a long way with a lot of, of content to set up, uh, uh, 10 of S words. And, um, Excalibur at its, at its finest point is basically, uh, Apocalypse gathers the externals, betrays them to build the external gate, which allows for Koa to have a gate. From which I don't, I don't think I really realized in this issue. So where he built the gate on Krakoa was the piece of Arako that came out of the ocean and bonded. Right. So it, so it is kind of native ground to Arako or Arako or however you want to say that. So that's where he builds the gate that goes to Otherworld. And then from Otherworld they can get back to Arako or Arako. And that's kind of what this book is for. Um I think the art looks pretty great. Love the dragons. I, I know y'all have 
various degrees of, of agreeing or disagreeing on the art. Um, but then uh, Gambit gets like this this heart stone that has the last external, and you feel like he's going to be kind of the foil, but at the end, he says, no, we need this gate, and he, he betrays uh, um, Kandra and throws her through the gate, and Apocalypse is able to finish the ritual and build his gate, and that's pretty much that. Um, in X-Men, we basically just get a big old history. Um of Artico and Apocalypse's previous life and the Summoner and really everything we need to know about kind of the mythology that Hickman's trying to build uh, with the islands. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of new character introductions, most of which have pretty cool designs. Um, lots of swords, get, uh, go figure. Um, and really just kind of at the end we see Apocalypse sends the Summoner with his, his tight little butt and Banshee and Eunice the Untouchable among everyone through the external gate to go find his lost people. Um, yeah, both these issues were incredibly dense. I feel like the artwork was the winning point on both issues. Um, I'm expecting <laughs> you probably didn't enjoy these very much just from previous conversation, but why don't you just briefly kind of give your your thoughts on them so uh, i definitely i personally like x the x-men issue better i feel like in one issue it did what excalibur was trying to do in 12 issues <laughs> was set up exoswords um i i it just makes Ex- excalibur feel like just a, a wasted bloat of of like meandering uh before the event this event could start i don't <laughs> like <laughs> Gambit in Excalibur is like this way and that way. He's so wishy-washy, and you're like, why should I even like this guy anymore? He had that <laughs> strong relationship with Rogue, and now it's like it, it, it's been a disservice to all the characters. I, I feel like Toe in this most recent issue was maybe at his lowest. Uh, there, are, especially those Richter panels where he's falling through the lava. Where, where I, I, I went and looked at the credits to see if there was a different artist because I felt. It was very muddy and messy. Yeah, um, not as clean for sure, not as crisp. Right. Uh, as, far, as for the X Men issue, it's it's definitely not the best X Men issue we've had. It is an info dump. It is setting up like this this mythology. Um, but there are two things I really loved about it. One was uh, use artwork was stunning. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed that that he's not going to be on the book anymore. <clears throat> the other thing that I, I really appreciated is that it, it really set up Apocalypse. Yeah. And it, it gives a lot of context to what he was doing on Earth. Like, he's trying to build, like, the survival of the fittest makes a lot more sense because he's trying to build up the mutants to be something powerful so that they can go back and sort of restore what mutantdom used to be and bring his family back. Uh, I really loved how in um, X-Men he looked like like the god he's portrayed as. Like, he's very stern and stoic and and he feels like undefeatable where in Excalibur he feels like a, more of like a, a gelatin <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but I, I just he feels like globs uncle yeah, not quite but it's like <laughs> he feels really imposing and like a master of all in X-Men where in apocalypse yes. he feels like a scheming guy who's like double dealing behind everyone's back which 
is an aspect of Apocalypse, but they, they like fall really hard into it uh, in, on Excalibur. So for X-Men, I just felt it, it it's not a great issue, but it, it has it's, it's setting up a lot that could be interesting, and it provides a lot of cool sort of backstory to Apocalypse, and yeah. uh, I, I appreciated that. Right. And his family, I think, I don't know if we mentioned this yet in previous issues or not, but it definitely ties up that the summoner is his grandson. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that, that family lineage there as well. So, um, yeah, so Dan on both of these said, um, you know, Excalibur and concludes the apocalypse B plot with heavy handed exposition. Uh, the Richter elements are nice character beats. Artistically, the characters are nice and defined, but it doesn't match the tone of the content. And he gave it a three out of six. Um, he said, X-Men is an illustrated wiki entry. <laughs> a new mythology yeah. is born out of a dense script, which trades quality for quantity. Um, simple masquerading is thoughtful. That's kind of harsh. Um, <laughs> but it, he said, but it is a nicely illustrated wiki entry. And he also gave X-Men three out of six flaws. So he gave them both. Right. Three out of six, which I'm going to be a little bit different on. Where where are you going to land on that? I do want to say, like, it is very obvious. Like, like the characters, you know, Apocalypse has never been one for, like, <laughs> analogy, you know. He has a right. horseman named Death who's all about death. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's very plain. Like, this character's name is, is this his, his Holocaust because he's going to destroy everything. You know, it's... Right, right. And, and that X-Men issue is very blatant and, and obvious. So, like, it's not very art, artfully told, yeah. as, as Dan no would say. No subtlety, right. No subtlety. It's but not... I, uh, it doesn't read like jazz. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was fine with it. It's like, yeah. oh, it's it's very basic mythology. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll roll with that. I'll I'll give X Men four out of six, and I will give Excalibur two out of six. I think. Okay. Um, right. It was I didn't want to go back and read Excalibur, and it reminded me <laughs> why I, I we're not reading it. Right. <laughs> well, I think I will kind of continue the trend. I'm not loving Excalibur, but I'm liking it a little bit more than you guys. Um, I'm going to agree with Dan on three out of six claws for Excalibur, and I'm going to agree with you on four out of six claws for X-Men. Um, I think, like I said on the Crossing Swords issue, both of these, I like the concepts more than the comics. Um, sure. I, th- I think that still holds true. And we'll kind of see how that does or doesn't impact my opinion of of creation when we get there at the end. But we still have a couple more things to cover before that. Um so next up is Giant Size X-Men Storm. Um, this is continuing the Giant Size through line, um, written by Jonathan Hickman. Actually, it's a story in words by Jonathan Hickman, story in art by Russell Dodderman. Um, I feel like making that distinction is a little more than just I'm a storyteller because I'm drawing this. I'm wondering you know, if he actually had some input Um Mm-hmm. Into the direction of the story, which would be cool if you did. Um, color by Matthew Wilson, uh, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. Uh, they're getting some work last few months. That's cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, designed by Tom Mueller. And then, of course, the cover is by Dodderman and Matthew Wilson, which is a great cover. Also, honorable mention, that Jen Bartell cover is pretty awesome as well. Um but this Donovan cover is just storm, bathe in white lightning, lightning coming, like we always see her eyes kind of white out and light up, 
But this almost has like an energy haze coming out of her eyes, which looks really cool. What do you think of this cover? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, my only, I, you know, we, we love Dodderman. Uh, I can't think of an issue he's done on any, any series that I've had. I felt that he was underperforming. I think the only issue with with his work is we continue to, at least I continue to be a little bit watchful, is just the coloring of Storm and, uh, you know, making sure she's not too light-skinned. Right. And um, I, I think, I don't know if he's, he's heard those criticisms, um, but I feel like we're still seeing a little bit of that in, in, right. in this issue. But otherwise, I... I I love this cover. It's uh, yeah. yeah. I love how you say the power is emanating from her, not just from her eyes, but from her hands. It's like she, the, the lightning's coming out of her almost. It's uh, right. it's gorgeous. Yeah, it is. And you want to be clear, Dodderman's not doing his colors uh, this time. So right, right. Uh, Matthew Wilson and and you know the wide out from the lightning maybe makes that a little trickier. But even on the inside. Um, we still have a little, no, I think it's a little better this issue than like the Marauders sure. issues. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so basically we kind of are, I guess, I think this is the last one for a while, right? So we're ending the story of Storm's, uh, version of the techno organic virus that she's received when they fought the vault. And they had that really just stunning visually issue of, Jean Grey and Emma Frost, you know, kind of trying to go into her mindscape. Um, and here again, Jean and Emma, and Jean in the right costume, by the way. Come on, rest of Dawn of X, catch up to this. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it seems <laughs> when Dodderman is, is drawing her, she's in this costume. Yeah, you know? he's just like, I refuse to draw that stupid miniskirt. And yeah. <laughs> man, good up on him. Um, yeah. So they're sitting around talking and. Emma brings up an interesting point that kind of becomes a through line of this issue. And also, by the way, before I get too far, all of the, the white space in between the panels has like techno-organic gobbledygook running through it, which is a really nice touch. Um, Wait, it does? Yeah. Oh, 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 in the first couple of pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. It, I'm sorry. It does not go all the way through. It, it picks its places. Um but it is a nice touch. And, um, but Emma brings up this, this counterpoint to all of this is like, you know what? We can spend a lot of effort trying to save you, or you can just die and we can resurrect you without the virus. Ta-da! <laughs> and Gene's right. like, kind of like insulted. Storm's like, well, no, maybe. And then Monet, who by the way looks Probably as appropriately ethnic as I've seen her look in a long time. I was really pleased with that. Um, shows up and is like, actually, maybe we can do both. We have an idea. And so her and Doug Ramsey have found this AIM guy who can take Storm into the world and cure her. There's a lot of fun back and forth with Phantom X and how are they going to pay this AIM trader uh, to take them into the world. Um, Storm continues to struggle. We see the virus kind of move around her body, which looks really cool. Um, we get a nice call back to uh, Donovan's Thor with a cracoom and kind of sketchy pencil in the sky behind Storm, which looks fantastic, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the AIM guy almost like 
plays the world like an arcade. He like puts a coin into a slot and then, and then go into the world and you would see Donnerman's like almost arcade version of the world, which looks really cool. Um, and they decide to go fight. We get some really nice artwork. Um, we see a panel of Doug and Warlock, I guess Douglock technically. It's very reminiscent of the future techno-organic stuff we set up in Hawks Pox. Mm-hmm. Uh, very reminiscent. Uh, more fighting and bizarre stuff. And then get to this, like, part where Phantom X is talking to his old self. I think, right? Isn't that guy in the glowing armor? Like it's a, his, a, like, twin. Yeah, his twin. Okay, right. And, um... So they put Storm inside this funky, like, prism, and the AIM guy says it separates organics from inorganics, and so it works, and it really hurts, but they're able to, uh, cure Storm in a very, in a series of, like, twisting panels that looks fantastic. Um, Storm, uh, comes out full of, of rage and power, and destroys the floating eyeballs, and, but then the the mechanism has has bonded with the techno organic virus. We get some kind of weird aim fire extinguisher that puts it like in stasis. But uh, Doug, of course, realizes that it's still conscious, and says we're gonna. Oh, so they agree to leave the aim guy there because he wants to explore. Uh, Phantom X is gonna stay there with his twin, and then I'm gonna take the technology thing back, but. I guess it talks Doug out of it. And he says, we'll see you later. So I feel like we're setting up kind of, because it t- keeps talking about how they have to stop it before it evolves. And I'm wondering if this is going to be what becomes the next, either the next Nimrod or, or one of the things that we saw in Hawks Fox. I feel like we're laying the foundation yeah, yeah, for that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so it was kind of a trippy issue, not completely clear in all its plot points, but I think it's appropriately mysterious. And it's just flipping gorgeous. So I don't, I, I'm kind of questioning whether Dodderman is like completely now my favorite artist going, <laughs> but he's definitely on the short list. Yeah, I can't. It's, it's interesting because I'm a, a huge Thor fan, the Jason Aaron run, and uh-huh. to go from Isad Ribic, who is, you know, almost like Renaissance painter to Dodderman, who is very like clean, with all the bright uh-huh. colors, was kind of jarring, but also equally stunning. And to really enjoy the back half of that series with Dodderman and see him just perform every everywhere else he's been, it's hard not to keep him at the top of your list right now. Right. Yep. So maybe well, not I, I, maybe not ahead. like as much of an artistic thesis as like giant size uh, Gene and Emma. No. Which is like, hey, this is how you draw comic books. <laughs> but, but still really, really good, I thought. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the artwork. I, I like seeing Storm get, get to do something. I'm glad yeah. that she was, if not fully in charge, you know, part of the solution to her story. Uh, really? She wasn't just like in a coma and they saved her. It was like her <laughs> fighting for her own life, you know. I appreciated yeah. that. Uh, the story was fine. It's very basic. Obviously, it's just Hickman really seeding stuff for the future. I right. think there's a lot of um, phalanx sort of hinting here. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't super blown away by this book. I, I think you and Dan loved it more than I did. But, yeah, I had um, a lot of fun with it. Anytime you got Dodderman drawing Storm, 
I mean, I, I can't really complain. Very cool. I also like the way that Storm kind of answered Emma's question at the end, where she's like, because there has been, especially like an X-Force, <laughs> this kind of just flippant, oh, we'll just resurrect everyone, so it doesn't matter if you die. Mm-hmm. And Storm's kind of answer to that is, well, actually, if that's the approach we take, then our lives kind of quit mattering. Right, so right. So we have to fight for the lives we have, and we're glad we have the resurrection as a backup. But that shouldn't be like our just settle for or go to. That should really just be when we can't avoid death, and yeah, we'll resurrect people. We should do everything we can to live the lives we have, which I thought was really yeah. You could have gone a lot deeper with that, you know, like yeah. afterlife versus you know, if there's an afterlife, what's the point of living this uh, life? If there's going to be something right. else, but the point of your life is actually struggling and living through your life. So uh, I think you could have gone a lot deeper. I, I enjoyed those points, but it felt like oh, we could have really focused in on that, <laughs> but uh, they focused in a lot more on. Shooting flying eyeballs, which which is also fun. <laughs> but they look like great eye. They're such great eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dan said the book was beautiful, drool worthy pages, bold line work choices for the faces and eyes do throw him off in some panels. Uh, it'd be nice if the color work made more effort to give darker skin tone, or to give darker skin a real tone. Um, especially with the attention to the light, lightning of scenes is top-notch. Uh, narrative was a little underwhelming for him. It's just a romp, uh, but M and Doug are pure joys to read, and he went four out of six claws. So where did you land on this one? Yeah, this is a tough one. I might be at four out of six as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. It was... You know, every, the the other Dodderman books have been so gorgeous and, and amazing. I just feel like this was missing a little little something. Okay. Fair enough. I think I'm going to say hair higher than you guys. I'm going to go ahead and go five out of six claws, but don't necessarily disagree with anything. Um, so, yeah, that is Giant Size Storm. I, I kind of like you mentioned a minute ago, I'm just glad to see her get some focus. Yeah, definitely. Um, and wish that the Nightcrawler book had done a little more of this <laughs> to to scratch my Nightcrawler itch. That's, yeah, that book that's, was... That's really the itch that's missing the most right now. Um, that was maybe the most disappointing... Of the books we were looking forward to, that's the one that's been the most disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. But also, that's just kind of... That was just kind of Dave's not delivering. But we already talked about that. Mm-hmm, Let's talk about mm-hmm. something we, we haven't talked about, which will be uh, Juggernaut number one. All right, uh, Juggernaut number one writer Fabian Nicieza, artist Ron Garney, colorist Matt Mil- Miller, and letterer VCs Joe Sabino. With uh, yeah, I don't see anyone different on the cover. So uh, the- Jeff Shaw, I think, is the cover. Okay. Yeah, so, but he's so not got- credited. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so I mean, this this leads to my biggest question for this book is. The other X-Men books have been sort of crediting everything, and they have their, their own, like, unified style in terms of design and, and all, all this. But Juggernaut doesn't have any of that, uh, even though it's listed in sort of like the reading order for X-Men books. Right, yeah. And that's why we decided to talk about or why I included right. it in this episode. But it doesn't seem to actually be part of Dawn of X in any way that matters, at least not in this first issue. No, the only connection I could see was him being like, oh, are you a mutant? Like, to <laughs> right. this young person right. every other <laughs> panel. But other, otherwise, there was nothing. 
it's it's just it, it, and I don't hold that against this book. It was just weird to see it placed in that list. Right. Um so I don't know if that's because uh just to help sells probably, right? Maybe it helps sell. I think it's also the the editor is is Jordan White, so maybe like everything that he's editing is included on that list. I I have no Possibly. idea. Possibly. Um, but on the cover, we've got sort of the classic juggernaut busting through a wall. Uh, it's 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 um, much more scratchier, sort of like an older style. Uh, I, I felt that it was it's pretty appropriate for what was inside. What did you think? Yeah, I liked it. I actually, uh, I actually picked up a physical copy with the Ron Garney variant. Oh, which is this giant kind of gray brown tone wreckage, like rubble. And Juggernaut standing with his helmet off, kind of in the lower corner, just very forlorn and in shadow. And I think it actually sets the tone for the book really well. Um, so if you get a chance to Google that or look that up, I definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I will definitely look for that. I had no idea. So um, we start off uh, the issue where Juggernaut is in sort of a different costume. And uh, he's specializing in tearing down buildings and blocks that need to be <laughs> destroyed. <It's> sort of, <laughs> she's doing some work um, with uh, oh boy, what's what's the name? Uh, with damage control. Yeah. Um, and as he's doing this, some young kids get upset and shoot their powers at him, and then they run away. And then we cut to uh, what happened to him months ago when he was thrown into limbo. Uh, without his power, and uh, this happened in Uncanny X Men number twenty one. Is this back was, when <laughs> Rosenberg I don't was? Remember, <laughs> I was going to ask you if it was the Rosenberg issue or if it was a uh, Bendis that did this. Um, I couldn't remember. I couldn't either. And it really it specifically mentions a magic tearing out the the gem. I don't remember that either. So I don't know. Well, magic doing anything makes it sound like it was a Bendis issue. So I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I'll see if I can uh, Marvel Wiki it while you're talking. Sure, okay. So, um, Juggernaut, uh, he has his costume, but without the gem, he's got no powers. So he's just like a skinny dude uh, with a just a gruff-looking skinny dude. And he ties his armor together and just drags it along Limbo as he's trying to find his way out. And then we cut to him uh, currently in Manhattan, and he's seeking out these young kids. And he's just trying to... It's sort of the classic bad guy tries to atone for, you know, past sins sort of a story. So he's uh, looking for these kids and trying to help them out, and they attack him. And then he fight. He talks to this girl, and he's like, are you a mutant? She's like, I'm not a mutant, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like the whole conversation they have. Uh, the, the building collapses on her. He uh, pulls the wreckage off her and takes her to a hospital, and they have, like, a moment. Uh, then we come back to Limbo where in order to get out, you have to sacrifice something. So he sacrifices, I guess, his old connection to the, uh, was it the Stone of Sidorak? Um, and, and he escapes. And it's hinted that he's got powers a different way now, uh, which isn't elaborated on. And um, next up, Juggernaut fights, fights the Hulk. Um, I, I think this issue, your enjoyment really depends on how much you enjoy Ron Garney's art style. And um, I, I feel like the, the story is pretty basic. Uh, it, it's setting up the mystery of why does he have powers again? It's the you know bad guys trying to do something positive in his life. Um, it was I, I, I felt it was a fine issue. It didn't really stick out as, as something amazing. Um, but I was 
you know, intrigued enough, and I did enjoy Ron Garney's artwork enough to want to continue to read this book. I right. feel like the like the the gritty tone matches like the the awfulness of Juggernaut's life and him trying to like dig himself out of a hole. So I, I appreciated that, but I just I don't know. For me, the biggest mystery is why is this included with all the <laughs> X Men books, and and will it tie in at some point? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I I like Ron Garney quite a bit. I really enjoyed his most recent Daredevil. Uh, oh right, work that was a little more abstract than this. Um, he really really went to town on doing some really cool stuff with Daredevil's powers and and stuff like that. Um, but no, I thought this was pretty good. Um, Juggernaut looks pretty great. Uh, the D Cell, the new character. Her powers look pretty awesome. Like the wave visually is kind of the wave and the, the stuff looks pretty good. Um, yeah, you know, kind of like you said, I like, I like Juggernaut trying to like find something positive to do with his powers. Um, you know, kind of the homeless kids not wanting their building to be torn down was interesting, I guess. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it and we'll also kind of anxiously wait and see, um, if it ties back into Dawn of X as a whole, and that's not a crutch. I think it may determine whether we keep talking about it or not. Right, right, um, right. Well, I'll probably read it whether we do or not. Um, I, at least, I'll at least give issue two a try. I mean, I mean, I'm yeah, enjoyed it enough for that. For sure. Right. Well, uh, Dan said it was scratchy and heavily inked. The book is moony but muddy. Uh, the script isn't. Perfect. It doesn't quite hit the intended serious note, but it does have fun elements. And uh, he gave it three out of six claws. Yeah, I think I'll stick with three out of six as well. As we mentioned, it's it's not bad. Um, I, I liked it enough to want to see where it's going. I think I think I'm going to go four because I like the art maybe a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. I think the the story is definitely in that kind of. We'll see, <laughs> kind of mode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I think I enjoyed the art a little bit more, so I'll go four out of six claws. And that's going to take us to our serious business, which is uh, Ten of Swords or, or X of S Words creation number one. Um, let me open that up. This I won't lie. This. This may take longer to synopsize than it does to talk about, but let me <laughs> let me try to get through this. Um, uh, all right. So first of all, let me let me find the credits um, and zoom in. Um, all right. So part one, uh, written by part one of twenty two of twenty two, and that to me, I I'm trying really hard to judge. I will. My my promise to you. I don't know if I. No, I'm sorry. Can you promise to try something, or is that pledge? You pledge. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try really hard to judge each issue on its own merit, and not whether this event can really sustain 22 chapters. I don't know if that'll happen or not. I don't know if I can separate the two, but I'm going to try. Um. But anyway, uh, written by Jonathan Hickman and Tini Howard. Art by Pepe Larraz, uh, colors by Marte Gracia, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, design, of course, by Tom Mueller, and several awesome covers for this book. Um, the main one, Pepe Larraz and Marte Gracia. There's a, a Mark Brooks variant, a Russell Darman variant, some others. Um, 
the main cover has like a background of Apocalypse's OG Four Horsemen in a red mist. And then we have Apocalypse on top of some crystals. We have some monster hands reaching up for him. He has the lightning fist. We have the summoner, Kid Cable, Rachel, Monet, and Beast flanking him. Um, it's a pretty nice cover. What do you think of the cover? I, yeah, the cover was fine. I, you know, we love Pepe Larraz. Um, yeah. I, I think we've, we've got some better looking stuff on the inside, but it was appropriate for what's, what's, you know, what we're going to see. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so we start off and you can uh, wake me up in 30 minutes when you're done. <laughs> We start off in Otherworld with the Tower of One of the Lands is not, and I won't lie, I'm thankful for the text pieces that list this out, but I had trouble remembering it all, but I'll do my best as we go through it. So there's this, the Tower of Delor or Delor or, or whatever, and so our four horsemen with the armies of the Twilight Blade, I guess who are also the armies of Amenth, who are the armies that uh, cleaved um, shit, the land it? in two. Yeah. Yeah. Before it became Krakoa and Arako, it was Haruba. Ar- Ar- oh crap! I can't remember. I really should. I. This, I'm almost gonna have to take notes and keep a whiteboard as we go this, through this event. <laughs> and I don't. I don't think I can manage it all. But I'll. Um, anyway. So yeah. So they. They were Apocalypse's children who were sent to help preserve Arako, but now they're leading the bad guy armies. And they're leading them against Otherworld. They want to rejoin Arako and Krakoa, but they want to do it under the evil armies of the armies, armies of darkness, um, so to speak, which actually is quite reminiscent of that, by the way. Um, so, so there, there are, are, their goal is the same as Apocalypse's, but their motives and allegiances have completely switched. And that's going to be important to kind of remember as we go through this. So they're laying siege to this tower in Otherworld. Um, this Otherworld kingdom who have like aquarium heads, but also pterodactyls, um, they're going to send a message to the Starlight Citadel to say that this, this army of darkness is coming their way. Um, and the four horsemen say, do we want to be found out? And they're like, yes, but make sure the message looks like us. And so I think Pestilence shoots a, a diseased bow uh, through the messenger uh, on top of his pterodactyl, all of which looks brilliant. But the art will not be – I think we'll all – well, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think it's a lot of pages, and they're not all as consistent uh, right. But I, I'm not really going to complain about the artwork for this issue. Yeah. All right. So our messenger lands at the Starlight Citadel. Uh, Saturnine approaches. She's just told by her aides to be careful. He's already killed a bunch of people that have tried to help him um, because he is infected. Um, so then we get what I think are the exact same pages from the Free Comic Book Day book initially. Yep, there, will yep, be some, yep. there will be some changes. But we see the fish head lady and the minotaur guy and um, the Egyptian-looking people uh, as they do this ritual to get space slug arm um, for Saturnine. And then we find out about the Starlight Citadel in a text piece. 
And then we see the Starlight Citadel again, and she has come to find a secret box and read some interdimensional tarot cards, which we see Judgment, which that one I think looks the same, if I remember right. Uh, we see the Four yeah, of Wands. Yeah, Judgment is the same. Yeah. And we see Four of Wands, which has the, the Four Horsemen leading their attack, which I forgot how awesome that one looked. The Pestilence with the giant like holographic skull looks really great. Uh, the hangman, which does look different. <laughs> um, we joked in our Twitter group that, um, that Glob got fired when Brisson did, because he's replaced by Rockslide. Um, but also, um, Trinary, I, we think that was, uh, got replaced by the summoner. And this will be our team that we'll see later, uh, almost to a person, right? Uh, that will go through the gate at a later Yeah, this date. is everybody, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so we have Apocalypse, Havoc, Beast, Richter, Rockslide. Do you think Richter ever plays with Rockslide with his new Earth powers? <laughs> like, um, and we get Summoner, uh, Siren, Archangel, and Polaris. Um, then we have the Eight of Cups, which has our new mystery character, but split screen with Apocalypse's wife, Genesis. So, spoiler, it's pretty obvious it's the same person. She fell. Yeah. Like, if you couldn't read the tea leaves on this one, <laughs> either they're really pulling the wool over my eyes, or right. y'all are dumb, because this was, yeah. like, the most obvious story ever. Right. And I'm trying to remember if all the, like, mystery tweets I saw were, I think they were before this issue came out. So, there was a lot of, like, ooh, who's the person behind the squid mask? Uh, is it Storm? Is it whatever? But, yeah, it looks like it's definitely Genesis. Um, yeah. Unless it's a complete red herring, which it could be. I mean, it's pretty, like, she's leading her children, and then she turns, and then her children turn. Like, I don't know right. how, what else is going on <laughs> right, here. Right, right. It, it couldn't be any more Sith if it tried. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they have lightsabers, so we get the Ten of Swords, which has <laughs> one lightsaber uh, with Betsy Braddock. Um, so we see a bunch of people with swords, including shadows in the background. Um, I think it's our only Wolverine appearance of this book. Um, is on the tarot card. Um, so I don't know about you, but while we're talking about Ten of Swords, I was, before this started, under the impression it was going to be like five heroes versus five villains, but it looks like it's going to be ten heroes versus ten quote-unquote villains. Yeah, I think And that was so. a surprise. Yeah. So I, I think that I think that does play, right? Because we were all kind of guessing when we talked about the uh, FCBD book, well, Storm going to be a bad guy because she's in back in the shadow. And I don't... I don't actually really know why they're in shadow anymore. Um, but they are. Um, so, so then we get this weird message from Tara. She's one of the hel- old Hellions, right? And, um, she's basically just sending like this SOS to Hakoa, maybe Beast. I'm not sure. But she talks about how she draws the same cards as Saturnine and also the same cards as a bunch of other tarot card readers. So something weird is going And she drew it multiple times. So I really like build up this idea that this is completely unpreventable. The cards are maybe mysterious. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. don't lie. Everyone draws the same cards multiple times, blah, blah, blah. So then we go back to the external gate. Can we, before we move on, I just love that the volcano... With, with, I don't know if those are clouds or whatever, looks like a, a giant face. Yeah, it does. Huh, that's funny. Um, which makes sense, because Krakoa is the living island. Right, right, uh, right. Yeah, so we have the magic crystal gate. Um, oh, by the way, it, uh, I noticed he said he got all the externals together. 
has has Can't Involve been retconned and not being external anymore? Is that I that's know. right? Right. I feel like I they think. were playing fast and loose because cable because <laughs> Gambit's one as well, right? So. Oh yeah. Okay. Because and even Apocalypse says, "Oh, one of our our our, our brothers fulfilled See, his purpose." Yeah. I, like, well, you're right. Okay. I thought they were saying that Richter had been elevated through his Excalibur story arc, but I think you're right. That must have been Gambit. Okay. Wow. All right. Um, so yeah, so this person who I don't remember and Rockslide and who else is with them? I don't know. Um, who's got the blonde hair here? Who is this? I don't know. I don't remember. Um, but they were in the, the story from X-Men 11. Cause I originally thought, cause didn't this redheaded person originally have facial markings when uh-huh. he drew her? And I thought it was Rachel until it was Magma? No, it's like Leo. Here, okay. Let me, go back, let me go back to the beginning and see what they say. Where all the faces are. There's oh. like a <laughs> Do the work. Do the work. No, they're not listed. They don't they don't um they don't merit a face box. Um Yeah, so anyway, they're there with Rockslide, uh guarding the gate that Banshee and the Summoner and Eunice went through, and giant black octopus arms come out. Oh no And um then I will say, whatever you think of why or what's happening this squid monster looks awesome. <laughs> and it, it comes out and the summoner is riding it with Banshee's broken body and says, he's dying to the healing gardens we go. And so they take Banshee to Did the... Did you healing. ever think you'd get to see Pepe Larraz draw Cthulhu in an X-Men book? Because that's what we just got. <laughs> he did and it's great. Um, <laughs> and the way his tentacles are wrapping around the pink crystals, I... Gracia is also an unsung hero in this oh, book. Oh, sure, sure, sure. For sure. Because um, then we get like Rainbow Sky in the Healing Gardens, which also looks great. Um, so Apocalypse comes and talks to Summoner and says, what happened? I sent you guys to find my family. He's like, well, we did, but we got ambushed and war is coming. And so Summoner, while they're healing Banshee, Summoner takes Apocalypse to the Quiet Council and I actually really enjoyed this scene. Um, so Apocalypse kind of is... I like how it mimics or mirrors the council scene that we saw from uh, X-Men 12. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, and so basically at, at the crux of it is Apocalypse and Magneto butting heads because Magneto is pretty much like, you set up this gate for no reason, or not for no reason, but without our approval... We don't like it, and now wait, now you're telling me something not only bad but really strong is coming through this gate that was unsanctioned. This is kind of your fault. Um, we can argue over whether we should re- go uh, rescue Eunice, but we need to shut this gate down. But then Krakoa pipes up and says, no, I want my other half. We're leaving the gate open. I don't care what you say. Xavier's kind of like, oh, well, that's interesting. And then uh, the summoner relays the story from his point of view, which is they went to try to find the Starlight Citadel, but they were attacked by the armies of darkness. Eunice was captured. Gam- or, sorry, Banshee was lethally injured, and he escaped with Banshee's uh, body, but not with Eunice. And there's more arguing over what they should do. They all kind of agree that Apocalypse kind of screwed them over. But then Xavier's kind of like, well, if Krakoa wants this too, 
And we're trying to have this symbiotic relationship with Krakoa. We kind of need to honor her wishes, and they kind of decided, well, they basically decided that we don't approve, but we need to help, and so they're not going to really nitpickily, they're not going to assign a team, but they'll let volunteers go with Apocalypse. Right. To try to solve this. I don't know, wishy washy. I I really love uh, Sinister's line here, though. He's like, where they're talking about like condemning apocalypse, and he's like, "Oh, I wasn't enjoying this meeting, but now I really am enjoying <laughs> right, right, this meeting." Right. Yeah, because his idea is, well, apocalypse can just go through, and they can just close the gate behind him, and that'll be fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, sinister. By the way, Hickman Sinister is like levels above everyone else who's writing sinister in Donovex. Um, oh, sure. They need yes. to all take notes and and. Remember who Sinister is now. Um, but yeah, and Apocalypse is like, okay, I accept responsibility. I'll accept whatever team y'all give me. And it's the team from the tarot card. Um, I really like the scene also between Havoc and Polaris because Havoc's like, well, Scott didn't want to come, but he wanted me to come. <laughs> and Polaris is like, ah, oh, House of, House of Magnus, blah, blah, blah. And so, and they kind of guess it, why everyone's there. Beast is there because he's he's Beast and he's can't keep his nose out of the business. Archangel's there because he wants to watch Apocalypse. Uh, Monet's here because she feels like it could be important. Um, obviously, Siren's there to help with Banshee because that's her, you know, her dad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Richter's like, well, I'm kind of joined in the hip with Apocalypse now, and Rockside has been in charge of the gate, so he'll go too, and off to Otherworld we go. Before we jump in, I love how we get the the panel where Apocalypse says, of course, and it's zoomed in, and it really feels like the panel's from X-Men 12, where yes. he's like ominous and like foreboding. Powerful, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so then we go to, you know, we've, I'm sorry, Georgia, we probably should just put the synopsis, but... um. Do you want me to take over? Uh, if you want to. I mean, I'm, I'm good either way. <laughs> <laughs> we get the diagram of Otherworld. Um, you know what? I'll just try to keep chucking through. That's okay. I, I think I can do it pretty quickly. Maybe. Okay. Whatever you um, want to do. You tag out if you need to. All right. Um, so Rachel in a, a new cool costume and uh, Nathan go to try to figure out what really happened from Banshee's subconscious uh, we get a really beautiful panel of Archangel flying through Otherworld. I also really enjoyed the scene between him and Apocalypse. Like, him basically saying, the ends don't always justify the means, the motives don't always justify the actions. Um, though you think mm-hmm. that they do. Um, and then we see the monsters in the Army of Darkness, and Apocalypse sees his children, his original four horsemen, and cries an Apocalypse tear and says, let me go talk to these guys. I'm a little baffled by what is not clear to the actors in the story at this point, because they don't look captured. <laughs> and they're obviously laying siege to Otherworld, but Apocalypse, for some reason, doesn't really understand what's going on, or if he does, he doesn't seem to care. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It felt very, like, this This is where it felt really sloppy to me. Right. Um, so uh, Nathan and Rachel are able to see the Banshee and they see what really happened and that's that Summoner they were not sabotaged Summoner betrayed them well we don't find that out yet because they're still trying to trick us though I, it's very very obvious um, 
when Apocalypse walks up, the obvious happens. His children betray him. They stab him. The summoner also betrays him. Uh, Siren, excuse me, Siren looks badass as she screams and knocks them all over. Uh, we see Rachel and Nathan looking very sad as they realize what has happened. Um, and then Saturnine jumps in and does something mentally. I'm not real sure what happens here. Uh, so we, it's really interesting because they're they're like mentally looking into Banshee's memories, and they run into Saturnine, who is also lurking in the memories, and then implants uh, a vision of something for for Cable and Rachel to go after. It was like right. she's really playing around with 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 reality and, and time and, and people's brains. Yeah. So um, then Saturnine is criticized for kind of just watching. All this fighting and not intervening. Uh, lots of fight, fight, fight. Summoner gets his own dark sword and really devastatingly like cleaves rock sliding. We found out earlier that his power is that he has an essence and the rocks are just kind of around him. And that's why he can kind of blow up and come back together. This sword seems to harm both, which we'll see what that kind of plays into. Right. Um, Richter and Beast try to drag Apocalypse away, but Richter is shot with a Pestilence arrow. Um, and Rachel and Nathan go to their parents. They show him what they saw from Saturnine. Uh, Cyclops is like, I know what that is. Uh, Havoc looks great. I um, love that, that not just in this book, but in the Cable book, that like Cyclops and Gene have really embraced like the suburban mom and dad sort yeah. of roll for yeah. their family. Like, okay, kids, <laughs> let's go on a little trip. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so more fighty fight. Um, it all looks really good. Um, then Cyclops takes them to somewhere. Do we really find out? It's basically... Yeah, we find out. It's going to end up being like like a server for uh, S.W.O.R.D. and the Peak Satellite Base. Um but Polaris says, okay, if you won't fight, I'll drag you down. Because your ta- Alex points out this, the Starlight Citadel is made out of metal, I guess. And so she pulls it down. Monet argues with Saturnine. Saturnine freezes everybody with a snap of her fingers. And so she's really in control. Cyclops needs a power source to restart this, this server thing. And Nathan says, what about this awesome planet sword I have? And he grins really big and... Uh, Saturnine says, basically exerts her power that she is in control over everyone. It says, you guys can fight, but it's going to be on my terms. Do you accept my terms? And so the four horsemen do. And the X-Men reluctantly do. Um, they and so agree. we have Contest of Champions. 21 yes. <laughs> issues of Contest of Champions. Picture yeah. sets up. Crazy mythology, and it ends up being, hey, let's get some swords and fight each other for 20 issues. <laughs> Is this really what we're doing? This has me really I'm, worried. I'm hoping that there's some higher stakes and, and some plots, but yes, that is, while I'm not as bothered by that as I think you guys were, and that's okay, because uh, I actually enjoy Contest of Champions stories oh, sometimes. So, when sure, they're done. Sure. Like, I don't have a problem with like those sort no. of arcs, but to right. set up like there's this great mythology <laughs> and if the... The mutants are doing all these things that we're going to bridge this ancient landmass and all this family drama. And they're like, well, what if we throw that all aside because we got some swords we want to fight with for 20 issues? I'm, it feels like yeah. it doesn't mesh well. 
I, I, I agree with that to an extent. I, I, I think my only maybe counterpoint would be, this feels very much like a glory days at Skyover story that Saturn and White jump in and say, oh, you guys are gonna fight over here, you're gonna fight over here. You know, Escalver's on this side, the bad guys, maybe the Technarchs or whoever are on this side. Um, it, it feels like kind of a current version of that. But um, but she pulls up like this hologram of, I guess, a sword. And so everyone agrees, um, we're going to have sword fights in some arena in three days. And I'll go get your swords. And... <laughs> Oh, oh no! That means the first two issues of each series are going to be like finding the sword, finding and then the we're sword. going to have an yeah. issue of them like getting <laughs> together as a team. Then issue four of each series will be like the fight. Then issue five will be the big fight. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, but then we get uh, the peak is brought back online, and that's the end of the issue. Woo! All right. Yeah. So then, yep, sword is brought back online. Oh, did you? Oh, did you get it? It's playing the words. It's, it's, it's Exo <laughs> so Sword, much, and they re- so much restart. They started this, Sword uh, again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and that's right out of the end of Empire. So, um, whew, yeah, this is dense. A lot of. To be fair, this was like sixty something pages. So, um, yeah, yeah. Did it, right. did it need to be? I. <laughs> I don't know. I think I enjoyed it more than you guys did. Um, but, um, alright, well, let's skip to what Dan had to say and then we'll come back to us. Makes um, sense. So creation is gorgeous to look at, I agree. With some exciting color and line work, the characters are expressive and hold your attention. Truly lovely stuff. The script has a couple of high points, but it's very much setting the stage. The character work in places soar, uh, particularly M jumps out. The plot is very straightforward and simple. When it's a tournament idea, the whole weight of the concept disappears for Dan. You're uh, right. The final reveal sends out a message that the end is uh, fair more exciting than the journey to get there. And he said, four out of six just for the art. It looks, it feels like the end is like, the X-Men getting control of S.W.O.R.D. feels like another way for them to combat Orcus, who's been... Still yeah, up, up right. in space. Like <laughs> right. those are the only stakes. Like the the, the I, actual political conflict is what we're finally going to get to after this event is over with. Right. I'm hoping there's more subplot and stakes around the whole rejoining of the islands. I'm also hoping because in that Space Knight story, they were going to try to use the space sword to like terraform Earth into their planet. Mm-hmm. Which seems like that would be a good sword to, at the end, fight. I mean, they use it here to recharge the battery with the power. But it seems like if the Twilight Sword cut Krakoa in half, maybe this Space Sword could join it back together? I don't know. Right. Um, that can be interesting. I'm, I enjoyed this enough, and I trust Hickman enough. See, what I'm trying to weigh in my head, is I really trust Tickman. My jury is really, really out and leaning towards not trusting Howard. Yeah. And who's going to have more say in this story? And I think that, to me, and also, 
will it be a true story in 22 parts? There's going to be a whole lot of parts of, oh, here's the X Factor book. It's not really a chapter. It's really a tie-in, but we're calling it a chapter because there's a sword in it. Right. I and, don't. X Factor was like in the middle of their mojo stuff, so it feels weird to be. Right. All right. It looked like Rachel's back, but I, I feel like they were still in the mojo verse, weren't they? They they came out at the end, and and oddly, because you know we talked, or I think you and I tweeted a little bit about that that random scene in Wolverine, where we get the the Ten of Swords interruption with the the Rainbow Bridge is not the Rainbow Bridge, mm-hmm. um, but the X Factor one, it's they have that, but it's none of the X Factor characters. It's like Storm and um, Emma, <laughs> and like. Weird. Um, okay. So I don't know what's going to happen in that X Factor tie-in, which is the next chapter. So, yeah, off to an odd jump. But I pl- I'm going to try to keep to my pledge. I'm going to try to judge this independent of what I think is going to happen. Okay. And, and I actually kind of enjoyed it. Um, I I agree to a point that the the contest of champions could cut the legs out of the story, but I don't think it does automatically. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm gonna kinda be wait and see on that one. And it didn't hurt my enjoyment of the, this particular issue too much. I think it could hurt my enjoyment in issues to come, but it didn't kill this issue for me. So, well, I don't know. I think we all agree that artwork for as many pages as it was, was maybe not perfect, but was, was still pretty gorgeous. So, yeah, so it's what, a what tall your... order to ask Kevin <laughs> yeah. to do 70 pages. Right. You know? Right. So, I don't know. So, what are your thoughts on the, on the story overall? Uh, you know, it, it sets overall? up, it sets up a lot of interesting world building and like all the drama with Apocalypse Family could be great to delve into, but it like, just sort of scraps that, uh, and it's, it's <laughs> even before the, the contest of champions. It's like, all right, are he's seen his kids already? Okay, and it's pretty obvious they're going to turn on him. And it's right. weird, like all that build up and just to throw not to th- not to throw it away for it's not contest of champions' fault that's thrown away necessarily. But you're building that up, and then you're just like, well, we're done with that. I don't <laughs> I don't know why. We had four issues to like delve into apocalypse before this for it to just be over with, you know. Uh, of of what? Obviously, you're gonna get see his his wife come in. I, I it just feels like. Sorry, I'm rambling. Um, oh, you're good. It it. It was a rambling issue. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a little bit. The issue we have with Excalibur was like it, it's meandering and bloated and doesn't really have a direction. And I feel like this event is also bloated without a, a clear direction with a lot of things happening at once. And you're not really sure what I, I'm supposed to be focused on or, or what the, the drive is. And, um, you know, we, I, I like the, the Excalibur beats. I, you know, the moments you mentioned with him and Archangel are great. Uh, the little interaction with uh, the Summoner and Rockslide, you know, we saw them a couple issues talking together, um, and and to see that outcome, you know, it was a good payoff. But um, in terms of what it means at the end, it it just really feels like, you know, Hickman's known for big, 
long game, interwoven, complex stories, and then for that to be set up, and then for a set, the ruler of all other world to be like, well, there's all this happening, but what if you just fought swords for a while? <laughs> it's like blindly like, ignoring everything that could be interesting about this and being like, let's just have 20 issues of fighting. And I don't need that. It's, and I am like not necessarily judging it on what it's done this issue, but it, right. it feels like it's laid all the cards on the table at the beginning. Like right away, I kind of have an idea of, of what is going to happen, and it's it's a little disappointing to think about. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I will say I, I'm probably going to grade this higher than you guys. I don't anticipate that lasting through the event, <laughs> but but I enjoyed this enough as a kickoff. So what? So Dan was four. I'm assuming you're going to go a little lower than that. How how much lower are you going to go, Georgie? Uh, it, it's tough. Uh, it, it feels like not all the parts work work together. Like I want to give the bad stuff a two, and I want to give a good the good stuff a four. I think I'll go with three <laughs> three out of six. Okay. Um, but it's not like Juggernaut. I gave three out of six, and I was interested to continue. This I'm giving three out of six because the artwork is great, and I'm not necessarily uh, eager to see what happens. Right. Right. No. No. Very clear that this is going to be homework for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, um, I'm gonna send you guys big hugs and uh, appreciate y'all y'all talking about this anyway. Um, no problem. I I like I said, I do not anticipate this to carry through. But I'm gonna give the first chapter of five out of six claws. I, wow. I enjoy the art a lot. Sure. Um, and to me, it was still fun enough that what I'm afraid is going to happen hasn't. I don't think Apocalypse getting betrayed this quickly is is the end of that plot. I think there's still a lot more to come with that. So I don't know. I just I I had more enjoyment than you guys did. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, we will see what happens as this goes through 22 chapters, which I'm definitely worried about. Is that like the rest of the year? <laughs> is the yeah. rest of 2020 yeah. Oh, man. It really is the worst year. Oh, boy. <laughs> but since we're doing uh, S-words, uh, any favorite S-words you want to throw out? Uh, that describe this issue or just in general? <laughs> yeah, let's do this issue. <laughs> mm, I mean, I can think of like four-letter S-words that I can throw out there. Um, mm. I'm going to say sparkling because the art was sparkling. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it was superbly drawn. Uh, it <laughs> was, um, uh, it, I, 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 yeah, it was subpar. That's what I'll give it. It was subpar. subpar. There you go. Okay. I'm going to leave shit in the bank. I'm not going right. to use that one yet. You're um, right. <laughs> but it could. We'll see what happens when we read the Hellions tie in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Can I, I say, I was surprised on that, uh, uh, the, the crossover podcast you did. How many people really are enjoying Hellions yeah. and uh, X Force? I, you know, I, I, I want to circle back with them. And I think most of their Hellions enjoyment was tied to Madeline Pryor. Sure. And I don't think the book's going to stay focused on her. So I'm curious if their enjoyment will last. But yeah, you know, it might. I mean, there, there's a place for those books. I was more surprised by how many people love X Force. 
But um, yeah, yeah. Which hey, more power to them. And, and there there are parts of it that I think deserve to exist. <laughs> so um, if people if people like those, I mean, right? We want comics for everybody. So different the people want different bar. Like, I guess <laughs> I'll let them exist in the in the world. Right. Right. But no, it was really fun though to kind of hear everyone's different perspectives. Sure. And, sure. and honestly, to me, what was kind of most fun about it is even when people had vastly different opinions of me, like X Force, they all had reasons, right? It wasn't just, oh, I love this book because it's violent and blah, blah, blah. Like, they had things that they liked about it, which is cool. Because I always, whenever I try to have conversations about stuff I don't like, I always try to have someone tell me why they do like it. Mm-hmm. Not, not necessarily change my mind. Maybe just to give me a different perspective of, okay, this is, this is the purpose this book serves. And maybe it's not for me, but at least it's hitting someone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah. So anyway, that was, uh, that was Ten of Swords. And, um, that's going to be the majority, if not all of our content for the next several episodes. So, um, we will, we will power through it. Uh, I'm, I'm anticipating lots of ups and downs. Hopefully the ups will be worth it and we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not so optimistic that there'll be a lot of ups. <laughs> um, but I think part of it has to do with what, as you mentioned, your faith in Tini Howard. Uh, this is this is her event. Um, so do you? I, I don't know how collaborative she's been with Hickman, or, or you know how much he's gonna put his imprint on this. But from everything I've seen, this is like Tini Howard's event, so to speak. So. I think to um, a degree, right? I I read a lot of Hickman in that issue too, though. So I mean, the Hickman felt. I mean, he's he's the co-writer of that issue, and it feels like him setting everything up, and then her being right, right, like jumping off from there. So right, and then I'll, uh, I'll catch you at the Omega issue. Yes, yes. <laughs> where Hickman then sets up what he wants to do with the books after all this is over. Yeah, right. I, it is very interesting that several books are getting completely different teams for the event. Including writers, right? Like Marauders is getting a whole, mm-hmm. whole different thing. Like they're just kind of checking out until the event's over. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But um, yeah. Well, Georgie, please tell people where they can find you and Dan. Uh, you can find us on uh, the Excalibros podcast. Just like Google Excalibros, we show up Excalibros one on Twitter. Um, we had an episode go out last week. Um, and we'll probably have another, uh, you know, traditional episode come out uh, in a week or so, uh, or maybe two weeks. Uh, we, we cover uh, the old Excalibur, um, Exiles, uh, Generation X, and the X-Factor team of the mid-90s. Um, so, uh, yeah, we hopefully have an episode out for that. And we're thinking about doing a little bit additional coverage for all of X of Swords, but we'll see. Uh, if we can muster up the energy to do that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, reach out to us anytime. We just had a poll come out, and uh, I'm oh, super excited you? because, yeah, we had a poll about who is your, who do you think the best uh, colorist and penciler is for, for the X-Men issues, because everyone was oh. doing this, right? <laughs> I everyone saw, was like... I saw one of them. I, I'll have to look for the rest, where you okay. uh, said who's the best colorist, and it was just all Gwyneth Oliver four times. Well, yes, <laughs> <I mean. laughs> 
It's obvious. It's, but everyone, like a lot of people, uh, a lot of people with check marks next to their name on Twitter were like, who's the best X-Men artist? And it, I, I felt like one that was, it, it, they were all just pencilers. So like you, you need to like give credit to people who do more than just pencils. But then it was also like Jack Kirby and John Byrne and, and Cockrum and you're like, and Jim Lee. Like, yeah, those are big names, but is, is Kirby really known for his X-Men stuff? And, and, I, and, I love Kirby. His X-Men stuff is so-so. Yeah, that's not, yeah. I love Kirby as well. It's just like, that's not what, that's not what Kirby's known for. The so best, I, the I, best art of the 60s run in those last few No Adams issues, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I uh, we just want to spotlight some artists that don't get mentioned. Yeah. Uh, that are, and, and so we had Alan Davis on there. We had um, Chris Bacalo. We had um, Joe Mad, and what? we had um, Stuart Immonen because nice. super amazing artists, right? Who just they're all after 1989 or whatever. So like a lot of right. people forget. Well, it's not the quote unquote goal. I'm sorry. Honestly, much of what we still see in costume design and even in Dawn of X mm-hmm. harkens back to what Stuart Eminem did for all new X-Men. Yeah, like, yeah, like that exactly. That costume motif has lasted a long time. A long time. Uh, and, and I feel like a lot of the how, how things are colored uh, uh-huh. is, is, is because of how Stuart Eminem was drawing yeah. all of this as well. So I just felt like these are amazing artists who put a big imprint on, on the X-Books who people – uh, just forget about or just aren't talked about enough. So we put that poll out, and Alan Davis won, which makes sense because we're the Excalibros and he's <laughs> known for Excalibur. So that was right. kind of great. I just want to spotlight that. Like, uh, Alan Davis is amazing. Please, please check out more Alan Davis artwork. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not Giant Size Nightcrawler, but everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he might have a cap too. Like, go to like 1996 or something, and then maybe Alan Davis isn't exactly what you. Want to see anymore? But he's got a ten-year period where you uh, gorgeous. He's unbeatable. Yep. Awesome. Well, guys, definitely go check out Escalabros if you're not already. Um, Another great podcast. Uh, Again, want to thank Grant for sending us his thoughts. Go check out the Cable Guide. Um, You can find that on all the uh, major podcast platforms as well. I'm glad to see him sticking to a a theme for a while. Yeah, yeah. His cable show has been really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, if you guys aren't listening to that, uh, definitely check it out. Um, and of course, for the podcast that goes Snick, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snickcast. Um, show notes and stuff, snickcast.podbean.com. And, and continue checking out, uh, my partners in the Crossing Swords crossover. It's a pretty ambitious thing that we decided to do. So thank you to Homo Superior for setting that up and check out those episodes. Um, Georgie, any closing thoughts before we we press pause until the next time Tim the Swords comes around our plate? Um, wear your masks, please vote, and yes. um, let's let's try to enjoy these comics as much as we can. Sounds good. Well, Georgie is always a blast talking. Dan, we missed you, but we'll get you next time. Yep. Um, yeah. So until next time, everyone, hugs and snicks. Bye bye. Bye. And snacked.